Welcome back to The Peaks Life with Lynn Fernie and Mike Warren. And we are super excited to bring you this episode today because it is absolutely jam-packed full of valuable information and tips to help you live a healthier lifestyle. Today we're joined by Ben Azadi. Ben is the author of three best-selling books, The Perfect Health Booklet, The Intermittent Fasting Cheat Sheet, and The Power of Sleep. Ben's also a national speaker and a top 15 podcast host. He's also the founder of Keto Camp, the go-to resource for intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet. Ben's known as the health detective because he investigates dysfunction and because he provides education, not medication, to bring the body back to its normal function. Now, Ben is on a mission to help 1 billion people live a healthier lifestyle. So today we're spreading the word and we're talking to Ben about all things keto. We're going to talk about his view of how long we should stay in ketosis and how to use cycling on a 5-1-1 basis to help us achieve metabolic flexibility. We'll also touch on electromagnetic frequencies and what Ben does to stay healthy and well. And then stick around right through to the end when Ben gives us some really valuable tips. The first one's about when should you drink your very first cup of coffee. And the second one is a cool sleep tip to help you get more out of your nightly sleep. This is the Peaks Audio Experience. Hi, and welcome back to The Peaks Life. I'm Lynn Fernie, and joined by Mike Warren as usual. And today we've got a special guest on The Peaks Life, and I'd like to welcome Ben Azadi. Ben, welcome. Hey, hey, Lynn and Mike, I'm happy to be here with you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Joining us from Miami, Miami Beach, right? Yeah, the Atlantic Ocean is five minutes that way. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. So um, Ben, we've um, we've already heard your bio and it's pretty impressive, but I guess for the benefit of, you know, the people tuning in, can you just tell us a bit more about your own journey and, you know, what's led you to the point you're at right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, uh, the audience knows my credentials right now, what I'm up to, but for the for most of my life, the first 24 years of my life, I didn't care anything about health. I didn't care about nutrition. I didn't care about fitness. In fact, I was obese for most of my life. I weighed 250 pounds, so 80 pounds heavier than I do today, and I was lost in life. Growing up in, in Miami, Florida, Miami Beach, Florida, my parents immigrated in the 1970s from Iran. My mom came here with my dad. They had my sister. They had me. Uh, and they did the best they can with, with what they had. And my mom was a manager at this fast food restaurant called Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't know if, they, if it made mm-hmm. its way over. Yeah, they did. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere. So, yeah, so she would bring me home fried food, fried chicken, just about every single night. Wow. And I would eat that food. And it manifested in poor health and uh, both physically and mentally. So I was that type of kid who was obese growing up, depressed. Uh, bullied, picked on, low self-confidence, low self-esteem, addicted to video games and drugs and bad associations. And that transferred into my early adulthood. Now, fast forward to when I was 24 years old, 
I was rock bottom. I was uh, at the lowest, one of the lowest points of my life. My ex-girlfriend broke up with me. We were together for about four years and she, she left because the relationship was going nowhere, rightfully so. I was working at a packing and shipping store as a manager. I was there for almost four years. And all I did was work nine to five, go home, play video games, eat standard American diet. And it was just <laughs> every single day, it was the same thing. And I weighed 250 pounds. I was both physically and mentally obese, but I was so devastated by my girlfriend leaving me and I didn't have any kind of mental grit, mental toughness, never worked on self-development that it destroyed me. It, it destroyed me to the point where I actually was afraid to be in a room by myself because every time I was, I would think about bad thoughts. I would think about hurting myself because I was tired of being in pain, crying every single day. I was actually uh, on the internet several times looking for ways to end my life. That's how, how bad it was for me. Wow. Uh, this, this was back in 2008. <laughs> And every time I thought about that, every time I explored ways to end my life, I would think about my mother and what I would leave behind for her and it would stop me from pursuing that. So I had a decision to make. Uh, I knew I was not going to take my life. I didn't want to do it to my mom, but I didn't want to stay in that hole that I dug myself into. So enter at this point in my life, what you see behind me, books. I started reading books for the first time in my life. I started reading uh, Wayne Dyer and Bob Proctor and these amazing authors that really just opened up a whole new world to me. And it, they helped me realize that I am responsible for the results I've gotten in my life. It's not, you know, my, my, the Kentucky fried chicken, the enabling family members, my genetics or whatever excuse I was giving, I was responsible. So it put me in the driver's seat and helped me realize that I am the victor of my future, not the victim of my past. Mm. And I took responsibility and you could fast forward from that moment that I said, I am responsible. And I started to focus now on my health because I realized that without my health, I won't have the energy, the vitality to do anything great in life. So I started to eat healthy and work out and take responsibility was the most important thing. Fast forward nine months from that, that decision to take responsibility, I went from 250 pounds to 170 pounds. I went wow. from 34% body fat to 6% body fat. Wow. And you know what? I finally had a, mental, uh, a physical six pack, but I tell people more important than that, I carved out a mental six pack. Yes. And it changed my life. That's what started my journey. I became a personal trainer and I just started my journey. That was in 2008, 2009. And that's where it all started. It's a very, it's a very mature step to take at 24. Most people at 24 don't have the mental acuity to make that, to make that switch. Mm. So it's amazing that at 24, you said, right, I've got to get my shit together. I'm either going to take my own life or I'm going to move forward. It's a, it's a huge step into that. Age, isn't it? It, it is. And it's really interesting, Ben, actually, because a lot of the people that we talk to, um, people that we bring on the, um, the podcast and the vlog, especially executives, actually, who are much older than you, so they're maybe in their 50s, they reach a point where they have a health crisis mm. and they realise they've got to do something about it. And the common thing that you just said with everybody is that mindset shift because until you make that decision to clean up your life, to sort yourself out, to get healthy, to get fit, whatever it is, until you actually make the mindset shift, like you said, you got your, your mental six pack, um, nothing's going to happen, right? Yeah, it all starts on the inside before anything manifests on the outside. Nothing, nothing external there's no circumstance on the outside of us that's ever going to help us or hurt us. It's what's on the inside that counts. You're absolutely right. It starts with our thoughts, with our awareness, and then it starts to manifest in reality. That's, that's exactly yeah. true. And again, it, a lot of the executives that, that we do work with that are listening in and tuning in are probably sitting there right now saying, yeah, but that's not me. You know, I'm, I'm kind of okay. 
I've been like this my whole life um, and it's going, it's going okay. Yeah, I'm a bit overweight. Maybe I don't exercise as much as I should. I can't play with my kids. What, what, would, you, what, what would be your advice to those guys right now? Yeah, I would say that two words, accumulated disaster. <laughs> So what I mean by that is, yeah, right now you might be able to be doing things fine, maybe somewhat decent, but if it keeps going down that route, you're going to compound these health issues and compound these health issues. And if somebody is unhealthy right now, I think it's the most selfish thing you can do. Just the cold, hard truth, because what will happen, and I saw this with my father, when somebody gets sick, what's going to happen? Your family has to take care of you. Your, your close friends have to take care of you. And even if it's not to that point, if you're not healthy, your friends and family, your wife, your kids, they don't get your greatest personality. You are robbing them of your true self. So what I meant by accumulated disaster was that this. Here are the stats. One out of three people get cancer in their life. Men, one out of two. Women, one out of three. 60% of Americans are diabetic or pre-diabetic. I mean, we have Alzheimer's. We have dementia. It doesn't happen overnight. Cancer takes 10 years to develop before it's diagnosed. So are you going to be uh, reactive or are you going to be proactive? So what I'm talking about here is being what I call a genius. And Einstein said it best, intellectuals solve problems, geniuses prevent them. So Mm -hmm. I want to empower this person uh, who's listening right now, who's an executive type, and they're just not as healthy as they they want to be, to be a genius here. Let's be proactive. I believe we were designed to live to 120 years old, disease-free, vitality, feeling great. Can you imagine what you could accomplish on planet Earth if you were here 120 years? Your business, your family, your kids, kids, kids. So I want to encourage you to stop being selfish and start taking action with your health because there's nothing else that's more important than your true wealth, and that's your health. Yeah, so true, so true. So Ben, tell us about the work you do. So you've you've had this major life-changing decision at 24. You got into shape, you became a personal trainer, you became passionate and educated around looking after yourself. Move forward to 2020, so to end of this year, early next year. What, what's your world now? How do you help people? Who do you support and how do you do it? Yeah, so my company is Keto Camp. You see the, the logo behind me. Uh, Keto Camp, the mission we're on is to educate and inspire 1 billion people on planet Earth with teaching them about these ancient healing strategies that have been around forever. So what are these, what am I talking about here? Well, the keto diet. But when I say the keto diet, that word, it's very popular. Keto is the number one search term on Dr. Google, at least here in America. <laughs> the, the, the term, what is the keto diet will give you 183 million results. I mean, it's, it's very popular, but that doesn't make it a fad. It's, it's a fact. I tell people that keto is not a diet. It's a metabolic process. It's been around since humans have been around. So I teach people how to use keto to reset the hormones, reset the metabolism, teach their body and all 70 trillion cells to burn fat as its primary fuel source, but not the only fuel source. And this is how I teach it differently. I don't teach people to go into ketosis and you stay there forever. I teach you to do, to do it once and then you start cycling in and out. So ketosis is one of these ancient healing strategies, fasting, sleep, walking, putting your feet on mother nature. Like these are all the things that we talk about here at Keto Camp. And how do I how do I do that? Well, I have my podcast, the Keto Camp podcast. I have my YouTube channel, the Keto Camp YouTube channel. I have my books. I'm out there doing speaking gigs. I'm on amazing podcasts like the Peaks Life podcast. So that's what we're doing here at Keto Camp. We're on a mission to educate the masses. 
So, um, ben, I'm, so I'm, I'm curious because a lot of what you're talking about is exactly what our listeners and the people watching are tuning in for. It's, it's what they're interested in. They might be trying to get started. Uh, they might be suffering health issues right now. They may have metabolic dysfunction. Um, you know, they may be overweight or, or the term over fat. Um, when you start or when you look at somebody and they say, look, I, Ben, I, I really want to improve my health. I, I want to sort this, this out. Um, you know, and, and you use all of those ancient modalities to help them. What's your process to find out the best starting point for that individual? How do you walk them through that sort of investigation? investigative part yeah it's a good question it all it, it depends um if i'm working with the person one-on-one then i'll be able to do much more of a custom approach i'll get to order some lab work see what's a little wonky address their entire health history so i'll get a good idea of what has led to their symptoms and i would never treat symptoms i think symptoms are not the problem they're actually a, actually a good thing they're telling you that something's up something's awry in the body so I would get a full health history of them. What has gone on their entire life that has transpired into what they're dealing with right now. I would get their blood work and get a full comprehensive panel. Now I have all these pieces to a puzzle that I could help put together with the person. But like you said a little while ago, it's all, it all starts with the mindset. We got to reframe them and really dig into why is it important for this person to get healthy? to lose weight, to have more energy. Because once you are strong with your why, the how becomes so much easier. So we talk about the why, we dig into the why, we peel back the layers, and then I'll get all those pieces to the puzzle, and now I could um, create a, a custom approach for the person. Now this is the one-on-one. -on -one. Obviously I can't do this with one billion people. So uh, if I'm giving general advice, I would teach the person to use keto a healthy way to stay away from the bad fats, eat these healthy fats, and then eventually pair fasting along with getting some sleep, along with going for some walks, some low-hanging fruits. We start small, we build from there, and the goal is just to beat yesterday and beat yesterday and just keep pushing forward. Yeah, love, love that, Ben, because um, a lot of what we say to people is, um, is exactly the same. It's like, get the why sorted out. If you wanna be able to play with your kids, maybe that's your why. Um, if you want to be a better leader and, and seen as a good role model, maybe that's your why. But it's not just lose a bit of weight. It's got to be something deeper in there that drives you and, and motivates you. Um, and then I think, as you said, it's, it's also teaching people that there's not a magic pill. This is not a, you know, a quick fix. This is a journey for life that's going to lead you day by day, maybe 1% at a time. It's going to lead you to a dramatic change, but that's going to happen over over a period of time, right? So, um, so expect it to be a long journey. Be prepared to put the work in and just take those small steps until you achieve outstanding health that we believe is is possible for absolutely everyone. So, just want to I want to dig in because there's a there's a question in there that I've got for you, Ben, that I think is really valuable for everyone listening, and that is around the cycling. Because we don't hear it from too many people around that keto cycling. And I know, as you said, you're, you're a big advocate. Can you just explain why, um, why you use that philosophy and why you think it's healthier to cycle rather than stay in deep ketosis all the time? Yeah, well, when we look back and we study human history, there's not one culture in the history of this world that ever stuck with the same diet long term. 
not vegan, not vegetarian, not keto, not fruitarian, whatever it is, they always change their diet according to their environment. So if let's say we had a tribe back hundreds and hundreds of years ago who were keto, they were in ketosis because of their environment. If they came across honey or a fruit tree, they would feast on that. They would get out of ketosis, right? So there was never a, a culture that stuck with the same diet long-term. We're not designed that way. Our cells are designed for adaptation. So mm. nowadays we have to kind of mimic this structure since we, are, we have the luxury, we're so blessed to be able to control our environment. You know, we live in, you live in, uh, you're in uh, New Zealand, or, or excuse me, Australia, and I'm in America and we're blessed to have, we could control our environment. Back then, they were forced by their environment. So that's number one. If we understand that, it makes sense. Now, that might be all good. People might say, yeah, that's a weak argument. That's more of a hypothesis. Well, it's a fact, but let's keep going. I've seen two problems with staying in ketosis too long. And what does people ask? What is too long? Well, it depends on <laughs> the person. Uh, I would say anything more than four months in ketosis, you want to start flexing if you don't have insulin resistance or, or diabetes. There are two problems with staying in ketosis too long. Number one, your body will actually slow down fat burning when you are in ketosis too long. And the analogy that I give is this. Let's say it's the summertime and you have 50 logs of firewood that you've stored. This is your body fat. You've stored 50 logs of firewood because you know winter's coming around. It's going to be a cold winter month and you got about four months worth of cold weather that you need to use this firewood to keep you warm. So Winter rolls around. Now you have 50 logs. You're going to be very, very scarce and cheap with how you use that firewood, right? Because you know you only have 50 mm -hmm. logs. That's what it's like when you've taught your body to only burn fat for fuel. You taught it only one fuel source, which is fat. Now, let's say you put in one day out of the week where you flex out of ketosis and you have a high healthy carb day, a paleo type of diet. That's like your buddy coming over and dropping another hundred logs of firewood. Well, what's going to happen now? You're going to be more inspired to burn this firewood. You're like, let's burn, baby. Let's keep going. So it actually stokes fat burning. So what happens is when you are stuck in ketosis, the body, all it wants to do is survive. So it literally signals to your body and your cells to insert water into your cells and slow down fat burning to preserve your only fuel source. Mm -hmm. But when you throw in that flex day, that high carb day, I call it a keto flex day, your body won't do that. You'll continue the fat burning. So that's number one. Number two is it could help. It could um, create dysfunction with your thyroid, because what happens is the the thyroid gland uh, produces T4, which is the stored form of thyroid. It it can't be used by the body. It needs to be converted to T3. And I don't want to get too scientific here, but T3 is what the body uses. It's an active form of thyroid. What makes that conversion is insulin. So chronically low levels of insulin will compromise that conversion and now you have low T3 and all of a sudden you don't feel as energized and mm -hmm. your thyroid begins to malfunction. So those are the two main reasons why I tell people to start flexing in and out. And if I can dig a bit deeper because I kind of got a couple of <clears throat> follow-on questions from that and um, three questions, Ben. The first one is if somebody's listening in and says, oh, that's really interesting because I found recently I've hit a bit of a plateau and you know, I'm not losing weight anymore or perhaps even my weight is creeping up. Um, this could be really relevant for them to get that um, metabolic efficiency you know, and to restore that. So first of all, what would you tell them to eat on their flex days? And then my second two questions are, does it apply to everybody? Because I, I know you work a lot with 
women, especially those in the sort of 30s, 40s, 50s. What about men? And what about people who are using the keto diet for therapeutic benefits like cancer or reversing, say, type 2 diabetes? So a few questions there, Ben, but I'm going to throw them at you. Yeah, uh, great questions, uh, by the way. So the first question was, um, what kind of what do they eat on the flex day? Well, they'll have a paleo type of food. So they'll have their fruit. This is the day where they have, they have their fruit. They could have their um, their beans if they're soaked overnight to break down the anti nutrients. Beans would be fine. I like yam, yuca, sweet potatoes. I have a whole list um, for for people in my. I have a keto kickstart guide over at ketokickstartguide.com. It's a free ebook. So that's what you would have about 100 to 200 grams of healthy carbs that day. Um, now, if, you, if it's somebody who is uh, insulin resistant or they have, uh, they're doing it for, for cancer, for something like that, then I wouldn't recommend you flex. I would recommend you, you stay more strict until you reset whatever's going on with the body and, and work with somebody who knows what they're doing. So there's definitely special considerations for that. Even men who are healthy should be flexing, men and women. Women more so, especially women who have their monthly cycle. I, I, that's also another consideration is the week leading up to that monthly cycle for women. Mm -hmm. I tell my clients to actually get out of ketosis because that's when we actually need specific hormonal conversions. Uh, mm -hmm. So we want actually more carbohydrates that week, that week. So there's always a customization to the stuff. I'm giving you some general outlines here. Mm -hmm. um, was there another question that I missed? There was. Yeah. More, so, right? I, no, I think you actually covered it all. Cause it was, I think the first thing is, as you said, it's, it's what do you eat? And I really want to make sure that everybody's you know, super clear on this. We're not saying, um, and we're big advocates of flexibility um, mm -hmm. all throughout the body systems, whether it's cardiovascular, whether it's metabolic, um, but we're not saying here, pick up the junk food. We're not saying go to, you know, KFC. Right. And we're not saying, <laughs> you know, go and get your Maccas and, and have your chips. Um, we're basically saying real healthy carbs and and think about the carbs that you do consume watch out for the anti-nutrients um you know the lectins and that sort of thing in the beans if you're going to pick fruit again be, be mindful that of the type of fruit that you're going for um, so so think think carefully about that and thanks for the um the heads up on your guide we'll include that in the details um with this episode so that people can go over and, and grab grab hold of that um, I think you answered the question about, is it women and men? Um, and then, you know, if you are doing this for therapeutic reasons, then you're probably better staying, you know, towards the strict end of the, the ketogenic diet and not, not flexing. So I guess there's another follow-on question again, which is around the, the women. You alluded there to women who've got a cycle um, and they would be better getting out of ketosis in order to generate the hormones. And I guess you're talking about progesterone particularly there. Um, to boost that in the second half of the cycle. So what about women who are moving closer to menopause or perhaps even have gone past menopause? Yeah, I, I would still recommend flexing, even if you're postmenopausal. I have something called the 511 rule, which I learned from my coach and mentor, Dr. Pompa. So I think for them, this 511, 511 rule would be perfect. And I'll break it down briefly for your audience. Five days out of the week, they're practicing intermittent fasting. So whatever their schedule they like for fasting, 16, eight, whatever it is, they're eating less than 50 grams to stay in ketosis. So for five days, you're following a ketogenic approach. You're following your intermittent fasting schedule. If you practice fasting that 
next day, the sixth day, you're doing a 24-hour fast, just dinner to dinner or lunch to lunch or breakfast to breakfast to get more of this autophagy. Now, that leaves one more day. That final day is the feast day. It's that high healthy carb day, talking about those carbs we were talking, speaking about, doing, you could have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You don't have to fast. And you're not, you know, I'm saying high healthy carb, but that's by my standards because according to the standard American diet, 150 <laughs> grams of carbs is low carb. Like the studies, it's crazy. And so 150 grams is kind of a good sweet spot, which is high carbs to me, but it's healthy carbs. That's a good emphasis right there, which you, which you said. So I like that five, one, one rule for a postmenopausal woman. That's very cool. And um, Ben, just on that one, when you talk about the five, one, one and the order that you talked about it, is the order of those days important? So what's the rationale between having the 24 hour fast before the feast day, then before the five days? It could be whatever is best for their schedule, especially for, for your entrepreneurs, whatever is fitting into your schedule. So I could tell you that for me, when I throw in a 24-hour fast, which I do often, I'll do it on a day that I'm really busy. I know I have a lot of production to do or I'm doing a speaking gig and I even want to think about food. I want to perform at a high level. So that's a great day. It's a great hack for an entrepreneur. So it doesn't matter how you do the schedule. You could do, you could split it up, whatever is best for you. There's no uh, right or wrong way to do it. And do you phase, do you cycle, you know, movement and exercise in the same way? Do you try and correspond or does it really not matter where the, where the exercise and movement goes? I, I emphasize movement over exercise. I think it's important to get in your steps, move around. I do think it's important to build some muscle. I mean, Mike, Mike looks like he works out, uh, build, build muscle. Muscle is a longevity organ, but it doesn't have to be an hour, uh, every day. I mean, people, kind of overdo it. Less is more sometimes. Movement is more important. And that could be whatever's best for your schedule as well. So there's no wrong way to do that. As long as you are uh, being consistent, I think that's what's more important. That's cool. And I've got one little question on, on this one. This is a challenge that we oh, got. Did you see this one the other day? Challenge from somebody on Facebook oh, yes, I did. Yes. was around, okay, so looking at the, the cycling, mm. Um, and they said, look, I've been in ketosis, I've been on the keto diet, and I've been in ketosis measuring every day, um, quite deep in ketosis as well, with a fairly low glu uh, glucose ketone index, my numbers are great, my morning glucose is great, my um, ketone levels every day, super, super good, to the point where I would almost say they're virtually at therapeutic um, ketosis, and they've been doing that for two years. And they said, I'm really scared now to eat carbohydrates. I love the theory about cycling, love the, the metabolic efficiency, but I'm scared. I'm scared because I know that, um, you know, glucose feeds cancer and I don't want to get cancer. And so I'm scared to eat even healthy carbs. How do you get around that sort of mindset issue? I would explain what I explained to you is that there's no culture in the history of this world that ever stuck with the same diet long term. I mean, that's, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. If the person is feeling great, their blood levels, look, their blood markers look fantastic, they feel fantastic, then hey, if it's working, keep doing it. I mean, there's some outliers out there that could stay in ketosis strict for a long time and, and feel damn good. So I would tell that person, hey, if it's working for you, then don't change it. But if it's not, if you don't feel as good uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever it is, then why don't we start experimenting? Why don't we start increasing a little bit of carbs? Maybe you could just increase it by 10%, you know, and then go from there. Yeah. Sugar is, uh, cancer does feed off of sugar, but it's not as black and white as that. You know, you would have to uh, be eating sugar all the time. You would have to be eating the wrong types of sugars. I mean, if you do it the right way, 
we were designed to live a long, healthy life. And that includes even with some periods of time where we have healthy carbohydrates. We were not designed to, to, to suffer and to create disease. So I would reframe them and let them know that we are built strong. And uh, if you don't feel good, then let's start experimenting and go from there. Mm, cool. Great advice. Love it. So, Thank you. so then we have, a, um, we have an audience who, I guess a large chunk are in their 40 to 60 year sort of age group. And a large chunk of that audience are also professionals, entrepreneurs, business people. And they're a hard nut to crack. They've spent their entire career building a career, focusing on business, focusing on getting results. They've got that A-type personality, that get-it-done personality. But they're now realising as they get towards their later years, two things. First of all, they're going to have to work longer because they're not going to retire as early. So they've got this, this daunting sort of future of working until they're 60 or 70 years old. And they're realising there's some young pups coming through the ranks who are chomping at their heels and trying to get their job because they may not be performing at the high level. And then they're faced with this wellness piece where they put all their energy and effort into their career and all of a sudden their bodies are going, hang on a second, you're not looking after me. So then they're starting to think about wellness and they're starting to think about what happens. But their mindset is still very much get the job done, work on the career, work on the goals. That type of person, I'm sure you've dealt with them before. What are some of the tips and some of the ways you would approach a really hard nut career-minded person to make that switch and get wellness as a high priority alongside their career? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of those individuals, those type of individuals that you explained, and I've, I've come across them several times, hmm. they kind of have the false assumption that in order to get healthy, they have to sacrifice their business, where hmm. no, not, not at all. I mean, if you prioritize your health, you'll increase your productivity and your results. So I would tell them that, like, health is your true wealth. The person who is super successful, millions and millions of dollars in their bank account, but sick would trade their life with somebody who is broke and healthy. Because if you don't have the energy and the vitality to enjoy it, what good is all that money? If you are on a vacation with your family for a month, but you are complaining all the time, you have no energy, you want to take a nap, what good is that trip? I mean, health is your true wealth. So I'll let them know that once you focus on your health, everything in your life upgrades. Your relationships, your finances, your business, you'll have longevity, you'll have more productivity, more focus, more clarity once you prioritize your health. I think that's the key. If you can, if you can show that the goals, their, their primary goal is always around money, success, achievement. Mm -hmm. If you can tie the wellness into achieving more success, more financial goals, more achievement, then you've got their, you've got their interest. You've got their, you've got their buy-in. So linking it together, I think, is the key to that. It is. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges that um, a lot of people in that space seem to find right now is around, you know, switch off, uh, wind down, go to bed, get more sleep. Um, and, you know, it's a hot topic right now in the industry generally. And, and I know I was in corporate life for, for like 30 years and for me, you know, I would sit there on an evening working away, keyboard warrior, and one more email was the thing that was most valuable to me. You know, getting a bit more work done, reviewing another report, having a video conference with somebody in a different time zone was always more important, always more valuable uh, than switching off and going to bed. And so I would work until, you know, 12, 1, 2 in the morning, and then I would literally fall from my desk into my bed 
and I would fall asleep immediately because I was so tired. So I used to think I slept great because I fell asleep straight away. Um, and then I would yeah. get up four hours later, still feeling like shit um, because I hadn't had a lot of sleep. But again, I had not woken up, so I thought I slept really well. I think for a lot of people in that professional executive space, that's how they operate. You know, they have so much demand on their time, so many obligations and responsibilities that they are driven to just keep working, keep working, keep working until eventually one day they just, they just fall over. Um, how do you convince somebody like that to, you know, to do something that's passive? Sleep is passive. It's not active like eating. You don't see the benefit immediately. Do you have any <clears throat> tips and tricks for the, for the people watching today? Yeah, I would give them the, the data on what sleep, chronic sleep deprivation does. I mean, I believe sleep is more important than nutrition and exercise combined. And if you are chronically sleep deprived, you are on a fast pass to aging yourself faster, tumors are growing, you're going to become insulin resistant, you're not going to function at a high level. Nothing affects me personally more negatively than a poor night of sleep. I could eat poorly all day tomorrow, KFC all freaking day. <laughs> And I, I feel like crap, totally. But if I slept four hours, I'd, it'd, I'd feel, feel worse. Nothing affects me more. And there's, and there's a scientific proof of what happens because the brain, the body and the brain during sleep does amazing things. Mm -hmm. The brain shrinks in size 20% during stage four delta sleep. So the brain shrinks. And then you have this fluid that goes over the brain and flushes out toxins. So it helps with your thinking, helps with brain fog, it helps with remembering people's names, helps with your productivity, mental clarity. So it helps with brain performance, brain function. And then if you have extra weight that you're carrying, well, most of your fat burning hormones are activated during Delta sleep. Your fat burning hormones are going into your cells, they're burning fat, you're burning fat during Delta sleep. And then we have REM sleep where you're taking short-term memory, processing it as long-term memory, so you're able to remember things. I mean, amazing things are happening, but the thing is people sleep on sleep, <laughs> no pun intended, but they sleep on sleep, but sleep is where it all happens. So mm. if you could start prioritizing your sleep, maybe you're getting four hours right now, but here's a cool hack. Here's something that I shared on stage last week in New Orleans. There is a certain window called the money time sleep window. And I wrote about this in my book, The Power of Sleep. It turns out every hour of sleep within this window is equivalent to two hours of sleep outside of this window. And this is roughly between the time of 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. That means if you got into the habit of getting to sleep by 10 p.m. and you're going to bed earlier, and maybe you're getting just five hours of sleep, but you're getting it during that money time sleep window, you'll get much more bang for your buck as opposed to going to bed at 12 a.m. like you were doing or at 2 a.m. and waking up a little bit later. So that's a little hack for you right there. But the goal is for everybody to uh, gradually get to the point where they're getting at least seven hours of sleep every single night. Yeah, you might have a few less hours to work on your business, to work on a project, but those hours you are working on your business and project are much more productive and you feel much better. <clears throat> that's a very cool tip, Ben. And I, I think you're right, you know, that productivity, but also decision-making. And people that are in the space where they've got critical decisions to make, whether it's in healthcare, medical, you know, whether they're just a, you know, a leader in a large business, they've got some really important decisions to make that affect lives, affect you know, people's security. And they're going to make better decisions if they've got better sleep. So 
Love that sleep hack. So you said between the hours of 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. That's the, the real quality sleep that you want to you make sure you get that in above, above everything else. And ideally, you'll continue to sleep on until maybe 6 in the morning. Yeah. But if you can do nothing else, get that 10 p.m. to, to 2 a.m. window sorted. Love it. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So Ben, um, you're a fellow wellness warrior like we are. And I think a lot of the listeners love to look behind the person that is Ben. Ben's got some amazing advice and you've helped thousands and thousands of people. Give us a, give us a snapshot of what happens in your day because we know successful people often have quite a robust AM and PM routine. So tell us about the world of Ben. What happened? How do you start your day? What's the process you go through to make sure that you look after your own personal wellness? Yeah, absolutely. I, I protect my morning. Absolutely. The first 60 minutes of my day are protected. I'm a big believer in protecting that because the subconscious mind is very impressionable in the morning. So I used to do this. I used to go wake up and check my phone, check, you know, Facebook notifications, Instagram, LinkedIn, email mm -hmm. first thing in the morning. And I realized what the heck am I doing? Because it was like playing a game of Russian roulette. I could check my phone and see, amazing comments on my Instagram post or LinkedIn post or an amazing text from somebody. I, I wanted to get that text, which is great. Or I could get a whole bunch of problems, negative stuff. And I got to take care of that problem right away. And all of a sudden my day is destroyed. I'm just on go, go, go mode and I'm out of control. So I decided I'm not going to check my phone. So I don't check my phone at least 60 minutes until after I wake up. My phone is on airplane mode. It's not even in my bedroom when I'm sleeping. It's outside of my bedroom, eliminating that, uh, the EMFs from that phone as well. Uh, first thing I do after I use the bathroom, come back to the bed and I write down my gratitude. I write down what I'm grateful for that morning. And then I write down my goals and I write down my goals in present tense. So I say, um, I'm earning this amount of money each month. I have helped this amount of people today. I have hit this number with my YouTube channel. So I say it as if it's already done. So I write down my goals and then I go and I take my dog for about a 20 minute walk here in beautiful Miami, Florida. Uh, still not checking my phone. I walk down by the water here, Biscayne Bay, and I do some Tony Robbins priming, taking deep breaths. And then I walk back home to my office here, and then I have this red light therapy thing here. You see the red light? Uh, <laughs> and I'm getting some red light therapy as I do some Joe Dispenza meditation, some morning meditation with Joe Dispenza, putting myself in a, in a, in a, in a state, uh, a vibration of all the goals I want to accomplish as if they were already accomplished. So I experienced gratitude, what that would feel like emotionally. I use all my senses and then I'm ready. I'm ready to start my day. I turn on the computer, I check my phone and I get rocking and rolling. Uh, and that's my morning routine. Wow. Do you eat, and eat or drink anything in the first part of the day or are you fasting right the way through? Yeah, well, I'll drink, I'll drink water. I'll drink water with a little bit of some uh, sea salt. I have a little sea salt packet here. So I get hydrated. I didn't mention that, but I'll get hydrated. Mm -hmm. I wait an hour and a half to have my coffee. Do you guys know about my 90-minute my rule? Oh, tell us. Tell no, us, Shane. Tell, tell our listeners. <laughs> so this is a cool little hack. Yeah. They're going to like this hack. So it turns out that the, the worst time to have your coffee is right when you wake up because your cortisol, your stress hormone is already activated. It's, it's, yes. it's uh, high for the morning time because your body's getting ready for the day. The sun's up, cortisol goes up with it. And if you have your coffee first thing in the morning, that caffeine does not stand a chance to the almighty cortisol. So the best <laughs> thing that will happen will be you might get the jitters, you might need a second, third, fourth, or fifth cup of coffee, um, but it's not optimal. So if you wait 90 minutes, an hour and a half, cortisol will begin to naturally peak down. Then you have your coffee. 
it'll bind together and you have better energy levels. You don't have to get a third or fourth cup of coffee. So I wait 90 minutes and then I make my uh, fatty coffee. Beautiful. Awesome. And then, then you work through your day. Obviously, you've got a bunch of engagements, a bunch of work. And then what happens in the evening routine? Do you have a, a, a similar sort of structure to take you through to sleep time? Yeah, absolutely. So tonight is, an, is the exception. So it's 7.43 p.m. Usually around this time, I won't have lights on my eyes. I'll have glasses, but I didn't want the light to, to flare on there. But usually yeah. I'll have my, my blue light blocking glasses. So I'll, put, I'll throw that on to sync my hormones with uh, Mother Nature to get ready for bed. And then I'll, I'll hang out with my girlfriend. I have my dog here. Um, and I'll, I'll either do some studying on the computer, doing, watching some YouTube videos, or we'll watch uh, a, a TV show on like Netflix. We'll kind of wind down. And I, I try not to check my phone too much at night. Sometimes I'll put it on airplane mode after 9 p.m. Sometimes I'm not good with that. But the goal is to kind of disconnect from the day. Uh, and then around 9.45, 10 p.m., that's when I start going to bed and I go back to my gratitude. I go back to my goals. I do it again before bed. Uh, and that's pretty much my routine at nighttime. I'll, I'll try to stay away from stimulation as much as possible. Blue light, I stay away from that. I'm wearing my glasses. I'm teaching my body to get ready for bed. I'll have some sometimes some uh, reishi mushroom or some chamomile tea, uh, some CBD oil. So my body's getting the signal to get ready for bed. And I'm really good. I'll, I'll get to sleep pretty much every single night around 10, 10, 15 p.m. I don't stay out much longer than that. It's very rare that you'll see me do that. And I'm super productive, have great energy levels because I'm very disciplined with that schedule. That's very cool. Ben, one of the things that you said was that you don't have your phone um, in the bedroom, you have it on airplane mode, and you even put it in a different room. I'm curious, do you have any other devices, for example, for tracking sleep? How do you manage um, that side of things? Yeah, I use the Aura Ring. So I have, uh, yeah, I will Aura <laughs> Or a family right there. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. So yeah, I'll put this on airplane mode as well. Um, so yeah, I'll track this. Um, and I could tell like if I eat too close to bed, like the other night, uh, I think it was Sunday night or Monday night. I had, I ate something like an hour before bed and it was kind of a lot. And I usually don't do that. I think it's a bad idea. My sleep was affected the next day. My, my, I, not only did I know I didn't get good sleep, my, my ring kind of verified it. So yeah, I use the Aura Ring. It's a great, great sleep tracker, as you know. It <clears throat> does much more than just sleep. And it shows you, by the way, because I talked about that money time sleep window, right? So when you look at, your, your, look at it again next, the next time you sleep, it'll show most of your delta sleep comes within 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Because that's that money time sleep window. So it's really cool. I knew that. Then I got the ring and it verified it. And I was like, that's pretty damn cool. That's very cool. Um, yeah. so something I noticed that you said that you, put, you even put your ring on airplane mode. And a lot of people will say, to, will say to us, I'm a bit skeptical about why do I need to turn my devices off? Why do I need to put them on airplane mode? Why do I need to put them in a different room? I don't see any difference. I don't notice any difference. What would you say to those people? Why should they get their devices out of the bedroom? I was just in Newport Beach, California last month for a health conference. And there was a brilliant oncologist uh, there, Dr. Erin Keneally. She's based out of California. She has been working in the cancer space since the 1980s. And she gave so much great information on cancer. I asked her, What's the number one concern, the number one reason why we see this epidemic of cancer? And she said, without a doubt, with certainty, EMFs, mm. electromagnetic frequencies, the Wi-Fi, the 5Gs. Now, if she would have said it 10 years ago, a lot of people could have been like, yeah, there's no research to, to back that up. 
now there's so much research. If you look at the work, look up the work of Nicholas Penault, uh, who's coming on my podcast next year. He is a great resource and he has study after study after study to show what it does. Essentially what it does, it creates cellular inflammation. It blunts your receptor sites. So now your fat burning hormones can't get in. It creates cancer growth. It's a problem. And we have people who are holding their phone to their head all the time. I see it all. I see pregnant ladies doing it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I just want to, I want to help them. You know, it's just, it's crazy. And I see people putting their phone in their pocket. I have my phone on my airplane mode if it's in my pocket. I have it away from me at night. So some simple things you can do is, because we can't get away from it. We're not going to be, uh, you know, go out into the wild and just live in the, in the, the forest and, and stay away from this stuff. I love technology. I use it. We're using it right now. I think it's amazing. Some simple tips. Turn off your Wi-Fi at night. You know, if you're not using your Wi-Fi, what's the point of letting it fry you overnight? So I turn off my Wi-Fi. Turn your phone off. Put it in a different room. If you're not using it, you don't need it. If you need it for emergency reasons, at least keep it as far as possible away from you in that room. Uh, put your phone on speakerphone or use a headset if you're using it. And don't put it in your pocket without it being in an airplane mode. Don't put it in your bra, ladies, if it's not on airplane mode. So these are some things that will go a long way. Yeah, very cool. And I think it, it is the fact that it's um, it's sort of insidious. You know, we 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 don't see the EMF. We therefore are not necessarily conscious of it. A lot of people don't understand it because it's it's quite technical. And so it's very hard, I think, for a lot of people to appreciate the damage that it does because they can't see it and they don't feel that immediate effect. So I think those are those are great tips. And anybody who questions it should go and have a look at some of the research in the area because it is pretty compelling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Ben, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna preempt what our listeners are gonna tell us. They're gonna say, get Ben back. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you have a wealth of knowledge and some incredible insights. So first of all I'm gonna say thank you very much for sharing your time and your your amazing insights. That's been it's been fascinating. And we would love to have you back again in the future because I think our listeners would love to love to shoot us some questions and pick your brains because you are an inspiration to many and you have a wealth of knowledge in the wellness space. So thank you for thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Ben. It was a lot of fun and can't wait to get you back. I had a lot of fun with you too. Thank you for the work that you're doing and uh, leave them a, re a review on, on the podcast. It really makes a big difference. <laughs> and, I wanna, and I'd be happy to be back. So I appreciate you too. I love the energy and keep up the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Hey guys, thanks for joining us on the Peaks Audio Experience. Make sure you've subscribed and please share the podcast. And more importantly, don't forget to tell all your friends it's awesome, it's amazing and inspiring. And send us your hot topics to cover on a future episode. For now, have a great Peaks day. Thank <laughs> you.